We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another Welcome to the Day episode. I am your host, Jahans Maniga, a.k.a. Canadian Red Bull. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. We have a very important guest with us today. He's usually the man who takes care of all the things behind the scenes. But today he's hopping in front of the camera. He's going to be chopping up with me. He is our producer extraordinaire, an IU student, but he is a Jays fan through and through. Trust me, guys, I've converted him. Josh Bodie is in the J with us. Welcome back, Josh. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And the Jays are rolling right now. The Jays are rolling. IU is rolling too high key. Like I've been trying to, you've turned me into a fan of IU basketball a little bit uh, because we've been talking pretty much all year and this, especially this college basketball season. Like I've had to check out your boys because you, you spent so much time checking out our boys. So they're looking pretty good. Like they look like they're, you know, fixing to do something important right now in the Big Ten. Yeah, they really are. That The Purdue game was just crazy. Best atmosphere I've been in. And it, it topped last year's Purdue game as well. It was just nuts. Yeah, and Purdue, obviously, they've been, like, on fire all year long. Zach Eady, shout out my Canadians. You know how much I love to shout out my Canadians. Zach Eady's been an absolute monster and tearing up the college basketball landscape all year long. So that's a huge win for IU, obviously. And, you know, they've kind of continued that uh, momentum going forward. So that's, that's good for them. It's good for the Jays, too, because we're kind of on our good momentum swing, too, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, I forgot to say that today we're going to do what I like to call a state of the Jays. Uh, every once in a uh, address, every once in a while, I like to just kind of look back and see, you know, what has happened in the last recent weeks, kind of comment on it, which is why I love to have Josh uh, on the podcast, because usually I'm the one asking our guest questions. Today, we're going to be kind of flipping that around where I get to answer some of the questions that Josh will be asking me, as well as some of the questions that you guys have asked through social media and whatnot. So obviously, because we had the State of the Union address, we're doing the State of the Jays address today, just to kind of clarify all that up. So that is the theme of today's show. Uh, we're definitely going to have a lot to speak about, but it's been a crazy, a crazy season. I don't think I've seen anything like it for a team that had such promise uh, to dig themselves a hole that they did early on in the season, that six-game losing streak. Now they're on a seven-game losing streak. Last time you were on, Josh, was in the midst of that six-game losing streak. I just want to know from your perspective, seeing how the Jays are performing right now, like how wild is it that they've gone from such a, like a, such a wide range of that pendulum swinging? Yeah, the, the losing streak was so weird, uh, but 
it was it was understandable too because Ryan Kelfbrenner was out. They lost those games in Vegas where the offense looked all right. Arthur Kaluma looked really good, but just the defense was so bad without him. And then he comes back and they go on a roll. And it, it's almost like not really that surprising. Like once they started winning a couple games, uh, I was like, all right, this is why this team is ranked so high coming into the uh, coming into the year. The preseason rankings, they're, they're starting to be just about right now because Creighton's just clicking on all cylinders right now. They absolutely are. Uh, speaking of clicking on all cylinders, not exactly what they did last night with the 19 turnovers, but they were able to extend their winning streak to seven games. They beat the Seen Hall Pirates. 75 to 62 in Newark, New Jersey last night. Uh, finally back in the top 25, and this was their first game uh, playing since being back in the top 25 since like way early on in the season. Baylor Sharman was big time for the Jays down the stretch, knocking down a few threes, especially when the Jays needed them. Uh, he ended the night with 19 points. Ryan Emhart, I thought, played one of his better games since he was playing really well since like uh, the trip out to Maui. Uh, he ends up with 15 points. And even though Trey Alexander was the only starter to not score in double figures, he did provide eight assists amidst all the turnovers that the Jays had. So he was really, you know, a a steady hand delivering passes to his teammates, his teammates being put in well positions to knock down shots. We got some bench scoring from the Jays. <laughs> Let's go. Nine points. Listen. Nine points does not seem like a lot, but for a team that's been really struggling to get some production off the bench, that is everything. You had um, uh, Mason Miller, who came in and knocked down two threes. Uh, you had Sharif Mitchell, who knocked down a three in the first half. It's just, you know, those are the points that kind of go a long way. And, like, it was also during a time where Stephen Hall were kind of making a run. Mason Miller had a hustle play that he dove on the ball, was able to scoop it out, pass it around the perimeter. He, it comes back to him at the end of the shot clock. He's able to knock it down and just kind of quell that run that Tina Hall is making for another home crowd. What did you see out there from the Jays last night that uh, allowed them to be successful on the road? Because as we know, there's no easy games in the Big East, and there's certainly no easy road games in the Big East. Well, they were able to, over, able to overcome those, those turnovers. You mentioned at 19, and Greg McDermott, after the game, he was like, well, we finally got some stops. They put uh, a string of stops together in the second half. Baylor Shireman mm -hmm. uh, was launching some threes from from deep range and knocking them down like like he typically does. And that's that's really all that they needed. They needed to get a, a few stops in a row. Seton Hall was playing pretty good offensively for most of the game. And then the they shot the ball really well. So all they really needed was those stops and to, to string a, a couple possessions together where they weren't turning the ball over. And that's what they did. What I love about this Jays team, especially like I mentioned earlier, having dug themselves such a hole early on in the year, now that they're on this seven-game winning streak, not all of those games have been pretty. You know what I mean? Like last night's game was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. The game before that, Nova at home was a grind-out game. Nova was really tough. Uh, their record is not indicative of how good of a team that they are right now. Uh, when I was listening to, you know, the broadcasters in the game, uh, both of them had Nova being in the tournament not because of how they look right now, but because they know that that team is just going to continuously get better and they just think they have a chance to sneak into the tournament. Uh, so not all the games have been pretty. The Jays, we had to like tough out some of these games. Talk to me, Josh, about, you know, like the difficulties of going through an entire season, stretches where it doesn't look good, but it's very important for the team to still come out with victories in those stretches. Yeah, it's a long season. And especially when you're playing in tough road environments like you like you do at Seton Hall and all the other places at the Big East or in the Big East are typically pretty tough road environments. Just to be able to get out with a win 
and and Seton Hall is a pretty quality team. It looks like they're going to end up being on the outside looking in for the NCAA tournament, but they're a team that's playing a, a lot better recently. Uh, they recently beat U, uh, UConn a couple weeks ago at home. So they've been playing much better ball and for Creighton to be able to, to go on that run and to, to get the win by double digits as well, pulling away at the end, it was huge for them. Well, that's about the recap that I have about last night. Josh, I know that you have some questions that you have for me. I'll let you take over the reins and I'll be the one answering it from here on out. Yeah, so we got one question from Twitter. It was uh, from Sam Norland. He said, does the way the first half was officiated impact how the boys came out in the second half? Uh, I think, okay, so here's the thing that fans don't quite understand. Like, you look at a particular game and you're either for or against the referees because obviously, you know, what has happened for the team that you're cheering for, right? The second half adjustments need to be made at all levels of basketball. And sometimes, like, what happens in the first half, especially with, you know, how the referees were repping the game, it lights a fire under the team that is not necessarily something that the coaches have to speak about. I think the players kind of look at each other in the locker room like, yo, we need to pick it up because it feels like we're playing five on eight right now or whatever the case would be. Like, I know I've had plenty of conversations like that in the various locker rooms that I've had in my career. So, yeah, you could kind of say that, you know, the players came out and, and looked a little inspired in the second half. Um but I also think that at this stage in the season, like you don't quite necessarily need those type of things to fire you up, right? Like you need to understand the importance of every game, every possession, uh, every rebound, every point, every turnover, like all of that is going to go a long way to seeing where you're going to stack up at the end of the season. So I thought that the Jays came out and really uh, played with a little bit of a fire behind them in the second half. And even though, like I said, it wasn't perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination, you could see that. You know, everyone who was on the court was all in and willing to do um, everything that was necessary in order to win. Like I mentioned, the Mason Miller diving on the uh, on the floor to get an extra possession for the Jays, which uh, concluded in him knocking down the shot in the corner. Like those are the little effort plays that the Jays are going to need to continue to make because, like I said, teams who weren't sleeping on them when they once they lost that uh, once they once that they went on that six game losing streak. I think a lot of teams started to be like, ah, you know what? These guys aren't as good as we thought that they were. And I think teams are looking back like, oh, no, like this is a team that was advertised early on in the year. So they're going to get everybody's best shot. Um, it is my opinion that it doesn't take, you know, ref the way the referees are refing the game to light a fire under them. But it was really good to see the way that they came out in the second half for sure. Yeah, it really was. We'll go one more question about the Seton Hall game specifically. Uh, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. So, Great. Creighton's been a, a really good team uh, with turnovers so far this year. They're just they're 47th in the country in turnover percentage. It's not really been that big of a problem for them. But 19 turnovers last night against a good uh, Seton Hall defensive team. Do you, do you think that's a concerning number moving forward or just a, a tough game on the road? I would chalk it up to being a tough game on the road, right? Because that is not what we see consistently from the Jays. Consistently, the Jays are below 10 turnovers a game, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they do a really good job of, of not turning the ball over. Actually, that's one of their strong suits is that instead of getting turnovers, they're usually able to get a shot up at the rim. Uh, we had Ross Rini a little bit early on, and I keep bringing this back up because I was so fascinated by that stat that he brought up. Like the amount of quality shots that the Jays get ranks up there in like the upper percentiles in the nation. So they're always able to get quality shots because they don't turn the ball over. So I would chalk that up to just being a really tough, uh, game and and turnovers for whatever reason sometimes kind of has this domino effect a little bit like missed free throws 
you see like one of your better free throw shooters miss two in a row. All of a sudden, it's kind of like the next guy up misses one. The guy after that misses one. The guy after that misses two. It kind of becomes like this snowball effect that we can't really explain in the game of basketball. I feel like turnovers could kind of do the same. Like you have one early on. Okay, it's not a big deal. Two, three. Before you know it, you look up and you have 11. You're just like, whoa, like how did this get away from us? So I think that's kind of what happened with the Jays yesterday. I, I'm not putting too much stake in it. I'm sure the coaching staff, like as perfectionist as they are, they're definitely going to nip that in the bud as best as they can, if not today in practice, tomorrow getting up for UConn. But yeah, it, it, I just think that it's just a tough game on the road against a really scrappy, tough, well-coached Seton Hall team. And I think the Jays are going to rectify that uh, against UConn on Saturday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that's exactly what Shaheen Holloway's coaching style is, too. You saw it last year with St. Mm-hmm. Peter's. They're just going to grind on the defensive end of the floor. And that's what they did yesterday to, to keep it close against Creighton, forcing a lot of turnovers. So we've called this episode the, the State of the Jays. So looking back, so since Ryan Kalkbrenner has come back from injury, uh, they're 10-2 and two against all Big East opponents. And in that time span on Bart Torvik, which is a, an analytics website, similar to Ken Palm with like adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency, they rank fourth in the country since that Butler game when Ryan Kalkburner came back. So the first question on this, what do you think Kalkburner's meant to the team, both offensively and defensively since his return? Let's start with offensively, because I think he already gets all the credit that he definitely deserves defensively. So offensively, he just has been such an anchor for him. He knows his role. He shoots such a high percentage because he doesn't do anything outside of himself, right? Like he's taking the occasional three this year just to keep the defense honest. He's knocked down a couple of them, but his bread and butter is in and around the basket. Like that's really what it is. Mac, uh, I've stated this for a couple of years now. He does such a wonderful job with the misdirection plays that he's developed for a guy with Cogburner's skill set. Like it's been really like ingenious some of the things that I've seen him draw up for a guy like Kalkbrenner because like having played in his offense seeing the type of players that he's had before like he's doing some things with Kalki that he hasn't done because he hasn't had that type of guy you know what I mean so we've had big burly guys that you could kind of dump it into the post they'll just back the guy all the way down to the basket and shoot a hook over him I'm talking about Greg Rich and and Kenny Lawson guys like that we've had like the stretch fires when you know we had Doug and Ethan Roggy uh, manning those positions when I was playing. Uh, we had like the more like fast roll, lankier guys like Will Artino, who we don't ask to post up because he's not going to back guys down, but he's out on the pick and roll. He, they're really quick on their feet. They're very agile and they're able to get downhill really quickly and create that advantage that way. 
he kind of has the best of all those worlds with uh, Kalkbrenner, and he's done such a good job of incorporating him in that, where you'll have misdirection plays, you'll have uh, handoff dives to the rim, uh, you'll have like uh, cross screen down screens that has Kalkbrenner using one action. Next thing you know, like there's a screen on the back end for a guy like Baylor to knock down some of the threes that we saw last night. So I think the combination of Kalkbrenner's skill set plus Coach Mack is offensive genius has uh, really like put Kalkbrenner in a place where he's literally a top three big in the nation, like for real, uh, especially when you look at what he does offensively. Now, if you want to talk about what he does defensively, he is everything for the Jays. They funnel everything to him and he alters every shot. Uh, the ones that he doesn't block, the defense is at the very least is thinking twice about coming in there. And if you come in there against Kalki, you better come correct. You know what I mean? And the guys who have been able to do that have had some success against them, but for the majority, you see how these teams are shying away from attacking their basket, going downhill, or dumping the ball to their center, having them uh, be an offensive threat. So he's really like been a key for the Jays uh, to do such a good job. The guys on the floor, too, to get him into his spots and get him the ball when he needs it. He kind of had a quiet game yesterday, but with Sonogo coming into Omaha on uh, Saturday, I'm looking forward to seeing how Cockburner is going to want to get his revenge, so to speak, with what happened at UConn, because I know he heard about it on social media. One of my clips on this show was used in order to kind of get the UConn faithful fired up. But if I know Cockburner the way that I think that I do, like I'm sure he's got something special coming for Saturday and, and I'm waiting to see how he's going to, uh, you know, rectify the situation that happened in UConn. Yeah, I agree with you. That's going to be an awesome game. And Baylor Scheinman was talking about similar things after the game. He's like, yeah, well, we got Kalkbrenner down low. So if guys get past us, we know that he's going to be down there and he's going to at least alter the shot that they're going to have uh, right at the basket. And like I said, and fourth in the – go ahead, go ahead. That's such a good point by Scheinman, by the way, too. Like, think about it from a perimeter defense perspective. Like, you're always so worried about if I get beat, what's going to happen behind me. Well, the Jays know that, hey, I can have a lot of ball pressure. Like, I don't need to worry about that. I can play my role defensively and kind of exert myself on that end because if something bad happens, I got an all-world shot blocker, you know, eraser back there. I literally have a pencil eraser back there who's going to erase all the mistakes that we do on the perimeter. So they're able to gamble a little bit more, maybe go for steals in situations where typically you wouldn't ask a defensive player to do so. But more importantly, continuously have pressure on the ball, challenge three-point shots, knowing that if you can run them off the line and they have to go in for a mid-range or a layup at the rim, that your big boy is back there and he's ready to protect the paint. So, yeah, I think that's a very important point that Billy Shireman made. And, you know, obviously the Jays have been doing a good job of that because they're, they are able to funnel a lot of those drives and those types of negative defensive situations into the paint where Kyle Prenner is able to erase all those mistakes. Yeah, like I said in the original question, there since Kalkbrenner's came back, they're ranking fourth in both ad, uh, in adjusted efficiency uh, with Kalkbrenner mm -hmm. back from the injury. So my question to you is, do you think with how the Jays have been playing, have they been playing like a top five team in the country in your eyes? Ooh, <laughs> okay. So this is where it gets really tricky because this is the most biased podcast out there for the Jays. And I would say yes. Yes, they have been playing like a top five team, but here's a caveat. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the top 25 pretty much every week for the last month and a half. It is a different top 25 every week. Aside from Purdue these last two or three weeks, no one's really held that top spot 
for a long time. Houston was there. They lost a Temple, if I'm not mistaken. There's been just so much shuffling of the deck at that top 25 spot that at any given point, you could look at a team and be like, you know what? That team looks like a top five team. This team looks like a top five team. So I would say right now, yeah, you're in the midst of a seven-game streak and one of the toughest conferences in the nation. Uh, none of the games have, not all of the games have looked pretty. Some of those games have been really grind out games like we mentioned earlier. Two tough games against Nova and Cena Hall back-to-back. You got one of the better teams, uh, one of the teams that was projected to be a top team in the Big East in UConn coming into your building. We know that they have some stuff that they want to prove because they have not played up to snuff in this Big East schedule as of yet. And this is not me saying this as a Jays fan. I think this is what UConn internally is feeling. I'm sure UConn fans would agree with me if we don't agree on anything else, is that they have not played up to snuff in the Big East uh, regular season just yet. So this is a hungry team that has a lot to prove. They were in the top 25 for the majority of the year themselves. And they're looking to get back to where they think they should be playing. So, uh, yeah, I would say right now that the Jays are playing as a top five team. Now, whether or not we uh, can put them up there as a top five team, obviously with their record and everything, I would say no. But if you're just looking at the grand scheme of things, about the quality of basketball, the different ways that they've had to win, missing shots, knocking down shots, no turnover games, 19 turnover games. Like, they've been able to win, and that's what's most important at the end of the day. Yeah, like what you said, the AP poll has just been all over the place this year. And I like the AP poll just mm-hmm. as like a, a historical reference. But on a week-to-week basis, it's it's kind of hard to put too much emphasis on the where teams are ranked because sometimes it just feels like there's no logic into it. It's really hard to put stock in it for real. Like, I'm so glad that you just said that because – if you are going strictly by what the last four or five weeks have looked like, then you wouldn't know where to place these teams when trying to put together a March Madness bracket. You know what I mean? Like, who should be a one seed? Who should be a two seed? Well, it's changed so much week to week, and you can make so many arguments for so many teams that, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's just not a great, especially for a year like this year, where there's so much parity. It's just not a great way to really examine which teams are the best teams are or who is playing the best at this particular moment. Obviously, somebody's record is going to be what it is at the end of the season. Like, you're going to be able to justify why there are two seeds compared to that team who's a four seed. But at the end of it all, when it all, you know, shakes out to be what it's going to be, I think that we're going to look at our March Madness brackets and be like, that team's a five seed. Like, they could just as well beat any first or second seed that's out there. So, you know, I can't wait to see how, how the dust is going to settle. And uh, yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see until the end of the season. That's like a, a perfect transition into what I was about to say. And it's it's about Creighton's seeding in, in March Madness. They're kind of all over the board right now in bracketologies. And <laughs> and rightfully so, because yeah. it's, it's hard to dismiss that a team lost six straight games in December, but they're just mm-hmm. a completely different team now than they are then. So it's going to be really interesting to see come Selection Sunday where Creighton falls and if they fall somewhere around like a a five or a six because I mean they did lose those games in December but they've been playing much mm-hmm. better recently like how do you think that that factors into to them playing a much better as long as they get through the first round a much better second round team where where maybe Creighton could get screwed because they're playing a better team or they could just ruin another team season because uh Creighton's just been playing so well Oh, here's the thing about, again, bracketologies. I see them as low as like 11, 10, and as high as like 6, 5 right now. So I'm just thinking that as well as they're playing, they're going to continue to play uh, this type of basketball. 
I could see him be as high as four, as low as, as an eight. Just because it's just so much talent. Momentum is everything, obviously. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, the Big East tournament, too, is another factor that we have to take into this equation. But it's just it's it's just so hard to tell, man. And the seeding is everything, and matchups are everything when it comes to the uh, NCAA tournament. Like, styles make fights. Like, if you're a boxing fan, you know what that saying, saying means. The type of uh, team that you go up against is everything. Uh, we were a three seed my senior year going into a game against Baylor, who would who had just gotten out that eight and nine matchup against Nebraska. But we just couldn't do much with them because the style that they played, like they were a much better team, I think, than an eight or nine seed. I don't remember which one of the two that they were. But it's just like, damn, like that's the team that we just end up running into, like as the second game of the NCAA tournament. So you just kind of never know what these things like I like your point about like the chances of creating like really upsetting a team that had a really great season, but it just go into this buzzsaw that is the Jays uh, heading into March. I think Creighton is really um, helping themselves uh, out as far as NCAA tournament situations are concerned because they're just really playing really good basketball right now. And momentum is everything in the college basketball landscape. Uh, you just continue to have positive momentum, whether you win or lose a game here or there. I think the losing streaks um, past two games are kind of out of the question for the Jays right now. I think they've got over that proverbial hump in the season. Uh, I think they're just going to continue to play good basketball and just kind of learn from their mistakes and just keep it pushing from there. So, yeah, like I said, it's going to be interesting. I could certainly see the Jays, you know, as like a six seed or whatever, like really quote unquote upsetting a team that's higher ranked than them. But if, you were to look at how the teams got there. I think a lot of people would agree that the Jays on that day would be the better team. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes up. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's what I've been thinking for the last week or so, where if Creighton ends up in, in like that six or seven line, I think they would be a terrible matchup for whatever three or two seed that they play. And they probably have a great <laughs> chance of beating them too, because I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've played like a two or three seed uh, for the last month or so, but they like I said, they just had that rough December. But looking ahead from this winning streak, how do you think the this momentum uh, kind of towards the middle of the Big East season is is propelling them towards the Big East tournament? Okay, so the Big East tournament, man, like we'll talk about like one of the spectacles of sport. Like it's at Madison Square Garden, like the brightest of lights are on you. It's all about playing your best at basketball and peaking at the right time when it comes to winning a, any conference tournament championship. Like you'll obviously have like the random uh, conference where like a lower seed, I'm talking about like seven and below, will just have a magical weekend and end up winning the whole thing, right? It actually happened against Creighton when Georgetown won a couple of years back and we see what happened to Georgetown since then, right? Like that game, I'm pretty sure was the last time that Patrick Ewing and that squad won a Big East conference game up until two weeks ago. So it's just, it's amazing how like some of those things could happen. But again, like the teams are at the top of the Big East right now. I'm, I'm looking at Xavier. I'm looking at Marquette. Um, do those teams like, are they ready to see a Creighton team in the second round of the Big East tournament? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's a matchup that, that, that they would want. Obviously like Xavier, uh, they split with Xavier already. They still have yet to play Marquette for that second time in Omaha. 
they're about to play UConn for the second time in Omaha, right? Uh, Providence is another one of those teams that not a lot of Big East teams want to see. So especially at the top, like there's a whole lot of reasons why teams could have uh, arguments as to why they could come out on top in a tournament style setting in a weekend in New York, for sure. Again, as the most biased Crane podcast that there is out there, I definitely have my money on the boys, right? Like I definitely think that that's who's going to be able to uh, win that tournament. But it also... Uh, I'm also saying that thinking that they're going to continue this positive momentum going. Uh, they're definitely going to like, you know, like we talked about last time, 19 turnovers, like that's something that uh, they're not known for. They had a lapse in that last night. The coaches are going to rectify that and and fix that in practices leading up to a big game against UConn. And that's how you continue to get better as a team. You don't rest on your laurels. You're playing well. You did this wrong. Let's fix it because we have a strong opponent coming in. And let's see if we could get better as a team day by day. And I think Coach Mack and his staff has done a really good job, uh, a really good job of doing that, um, even as they're winning these games. So, yeah, like they continue to play well, um, no matter what seed that they're going to end up in. And mind you, they're still in the hunt for number one in the Big East regular season right now. Like they're not it's not a stretch to say that they have a chance to win the regular season or at the very least get a share of the regular season title. So this game against UConn is everything right now as far as continuing this positive momentum. They beat UConn on Saturday. I can promise you that, you know, the environment and, you know, the uh, psychological, um, like like psychologically, like how great they're going to feel if they're able to beat UConn in a rematch in Omaha, it's going to do wonders uh, for them moving forward. And yeah, I, I could certainly see them in a couple of weeks being favorites heading into New York. Yeah, and I have a question for you. When you were playing at Creighton, would you kind of put more emphasis on going on that run in the in the conference tournament? Or was it for you more so like, all right, we're feeling pretty confident about our, our at-large chances right now. Maybe conserve a little bit of energy for the tournament the next week. So that that's a good question because obviously I played in two conferences, right? When we started, I was in the Missouri Valley Conference. In the Missouri Valley Conference, as well as you played in the regular season, and we ended first or second in the years that I was there. I think my freshman year, we were in fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but my uh, sophomore and junior year, we were second to Wichita State, my sophomore year, first winning the regular season. But we almost didn't trust the, uh, the committee to put us into the NCAA tournament, like my my sophomore and junior year. We literally went into St. Louis thinking we have to win this conference tournament to secure a spot. And that was just kind of like the thought process that we all had because we just didn't trust it being from a smaller conference. It was basically us in Wichita State during my tenure there. Um, and yeah, it was just tough to get an extra bid. Like they weren't going to give us three for sure. We weren't quite sure if we did enough uh, to get an at-large, even if we made it all the way to the finals of our conference tournament, right? And that's only because, like, we felt like in non-conference, those big-time schools were death in the smoke. Like, they didn't want it with us. Like, we tried to schedule big-time matchups. They didn't want it. We had to go to, like, Vegas tournaments or whatnot, like Thanksgiving tournaments in order to get a really good team to play us. Like, it just it was tough sledding, right? But we moved to the Big East, and you're a little bit more relaxed that year because we were ranked in the top 25 pretty much the whole year. But 
uh, because we already had that like valley mentality of like we gotta win the big east tournament in order to make it in like we didn't rest our laurels there either even though we ended up losing to a really good providence team shout out bryce cotton because he was an absolute monster uh he won big east tournament mvp that year and then he almost upset north carolina single-handedly in the ancillary tournament like a couple weeks or a week later um we were still like, we got to win the biggest tournament. Like, don't trust these guys. Like, they're not going to put us in. And I think when we lost in the finals of the biggest tournament, we flew back to Omaha that night. When we woke up the next morning, I think we were all kind of like, you know what? Like, we're probably going to be a top five seed. And I think we ended up being a three seed. Again, I have to look back to make sure that I got that right. But yeah, it was just, uh, we just, we never wanted to put it at the hands of the committee. Like, we just always wanted to make sure we handle our business ourselves. I don't think Mac is straight too far away from that mentality. Uh, he's always highly competitive, especially in the Big East tournament. Now, I'm surprised that in his tenure for the Jays, he hasn't won a Big East tournament just yet. I think his best shot was the one that they got pulled off the floor when the pandemic first, first started. Um, but, yeah, and again, against that Georgetown team that that had that incredible run, I thought that that was a – situation with a Marcus Zagorowski-led team that ended up being a Sweet 16 team for the first time in Jays history since the new format of the NCAA tournament. Uh, that was another chance for the Jays to get there. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if this is one of those things where Coach Mack is like, I personally need one of these, you know, in, in the trophy room at the crib. So I think the Jays are going to go um, and do the best that they can in order to win it. And they're going to put a lot of emphasis in winning it, even if they feel like they've done enough to get in that large this year. Yeah. And they're within striking distance, like we've said of the regular season title as well. And I'm curious, another question for you, when you were playing, did, did you take more pride in winning a, a regular season title or a conference tournament title? Oh, I think regular season for sure. Because like I said, like the number seven, eight team can luck up and get hot and win the tournament and actually still a bid from one of those top four teams. You know what I mean? I think a regular season just shows like the longevity, the grind. You play everybody twice, once at home, once away. It just, uh, that meant a little bit more. I was able to do that once in the Valley, uh, kind of squandered our chance in the Big East. My senior year, we beat a, Nova team twice, like kind of blew them out twice uh, and then just messed up on the road, which which is why I'm like the biggest games like they're never easy on the road, no matter what. We were 16 and 0 at, at home all year, my senior year, and then just lost biggies games on the road. You know what I mean? Like and then Nova, who we were the only team to beat them that entire year, ended up winning that regular season championship. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where I just put a little bit more stock in a uh, regular season uh, championship. Like, as you can see from the flag behind me, this is from our Valley one in 2013. Shout out to Jimmy, my oldest brother, who was able to find this flag for me. It was a birthday gift for me a couple of years back, actually. But yeah, I definitely think, you know, win winning the regular season means a little bit more because it just shows the longevity and how well you've been playing during that time span, as opposed to, like I said, being maybe one of a bottom team that just kind of locked up and played really well for a, a three-day span and ended up winning a tournament title. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something that I've I've been trying to figure out for the last few years as well. And I'm like, because I'm, you'll hang banners for both of them. And, uh, and I'm thinking like, mm -hmm. well, winning the tournament championship is awesome. And then, but then you got that fast turnaround to March Madness in the next 
like five days where if you you play four games in four days win a conference tournament you're probably almost like out of energy by the time it comes back to the to the first round of march madness hey man those kids are young they could figure it out <laughs> when i was there i could run around all day <laughs> now if you ask me to play in a Big East tournament like right now i'd be like no way dude you could put me in for 12 <laughs> minutes for sure but like when i was 18 19 20 21 man like you could run around all day you're not really worried about what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament because like i said like coming from the valley if you don't win the whole thing you weren't guaranteed that spot now mind you that wichita state that team that we beat my junior year to win the regular season and the Valley tournament, they ended up being a final four team, right? So didn't have any time to rest, didn't have any excuses. We didn't have any excuses. We got beaten in the second round to a Duke team led by Quinn Cook and Seth Curry. They ended up going all the way to the final four and losing to Louisville, right? So it's like, it's just one of those things, man. Like you just kind of have to be, matchups or everything, styles make fights. Uh, I think they got a, a better matchup or or they were able to match up better with the teams that were lined up in front of them than we were. And you just kind of learn from that and, and try to do better next time. But yeah, uh, conference tournaments, there, there's nothing, I'll tell you, Josh, right now, there's nothing like the double banner, like the regular season tournament or, or regular season trophy and the tournament trophy to have both those banners hanging in the uh, practice facility. Whenever I walk in there in Omaha and I see that 2013 on both side of those, like I, I just feel really good about myself. And it's just one of those things, like those memories, those moments, I'll cherish it forever because it's very difficult to do both. Not a lot of teams are able to say that they did both. And uh, I'm just very proud to be a part of a team that was able to do that. Yeah, I'm sure. My last question today is about the UConn game on Saturday. Creighton put up a mm -hmm. good fight when they were in Connecticut earlier this year. What do you think is, is maybe the biggest key for Creighton to avenge that loss? Kalk Brenner versus Sonogo. This is what everyone's going to look. I, I, I would be shocked. Usually we get a, a count of how many NBA scouts are in attendance to kind of see, you know, the players and, and how they're going to do. When they had that Xavier game in pink out uh, last week, right? God, has it already been ago. a week and a half ago? Right? Yeah. Uh, I think there was about like 13 or so NBA scouts in, in the arena. I wouldn't be shocked if that goes up to like, 20 with, with the amount of talent on both sides of the floor uh, for that UConn and Creighton game. So that is going to be the primary matchup that we're all going to um, be looking for. Um, I think that matchup is going to dictate a lot of how the game is going to go. Can the Jays establish themselves inside against a guy like Sonogo? Will Cockburner be able to stop a guy like Sonogo, uh, who he had trouble with the first go round? Um, and then also like can we continue to see the three-point bombs that Baylor has been doing here these past couple of games? Because quite as kept, he's also rounding into form and playing the best basketball that he's played all year long. Like He had a lot of expectations being a transfer that was so highly sought after. Uh, kind of dipped his stone to the NBA uh, draft, decided to pull back and transfer to Creighton. Uh, he's been asked to be a leader for this team. He's been asked to tweak his game a little bit for this team, but now he's looking a lot like the Baylor Shireman of old for those of you guys who were watching South Dakota State games a year ago. So I think that's another intriguing thing for us to watch is whether or not Baylor is going to be able to continue to shoot the ball and, and lead the Jays the way that he's been doing these past couple of games. But again, like we're watching that game to see Cogburn versus Sonogo. Like how is that going to work out? Um, who is going to really establish their dominance in the paint? Who's going to get who in foul trouble and on all of the subsequent questions is going to come from that. So 
it's going to be a super exciting, intriguing game. I'm very much excited to watch it. Um, and it's an early game for me too. Usually I have to stay up to like 2.30 in the morning to watch these games. It's actually going to be at 8 p.m. on a Saturday for me. So that's about as early as these games can get. I'm, I'm just so pumped to be able to just sit down, maybe, you know, make, make some popcorn or something and just kind of watch and see what fireworks are going to be displayed in front of me. So it's going to be a super exciting game. I'm very much looking forward to it. Josh, are you going to have a chance to watch it? Yeah, I am. It's, it seems like every Creighton game during their win streak, Creighton and Indiana have been playing at like the exact same time or have had uh, something to do for school at the, at the time of the, of the Creighton game. So I'm excited to like finally be able to get to watch them again. Yeah, it's going to be a really good game. I, I definitely don't want to, uh, not stress how well Ryan Nemhart has been playing too. I mentioned it a little bit earlier as well, but he's another key guy that I think is going to really uh, mean a lot for the Jays in this game on Saturday. He is the guy who really sets the pace and the tempo for the Jays. I think he's been doing a really good job of fighting himself into the offense. Uh, when he knocked on that first three last night, I was just like, okay, my guy's going to have a really good game. And I was also wearing a Canadian hockey jersey, so I don't know why I kept doing like one of these <laughs> every time he scored. So uh, I'm just very much looking forward to like him progressing as a point guard, as a leader on the team as well. And uh, for him finding his offensive rhythm, which I think is going to be very important for the Jays down the stretch, because I think out of all those guys, like he seems to be the last guy to kind of find his offensive rhythm. Like he's often one of the last guys to be in double figures. You'll have Trey Alexander reach it. Baylor will reach it. Arthur will reach it. Cockburner would have already reached it. And then you see, uh, Ryan Emhard, you know, get to that like 11, 12 point uh, later on, later on in the game. So I'm glad to see that he's kind of establishing himself a little bit earlier on in these games, which is, which is a great sign for the Jays. Uh, and then at the same time, like we've also seen him, like when he is not scoring, he's had like a double digit rebounding game. You've seen him have double digit assist games. So he's a guy that could kind of do a lot of things for the Jays and kind of uh, plug up those holes that the Jays have. Uh, I'm very interested to see how this game is going to look for him and how he's going to be able to establish himself against a tough, tough UConn team. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I, I totally agree with the the Kalkbrenner versus Sonogo matchup Two of the best players in the Big East. It's going to be fun mm -hmm. to see who comes out uh, winning that matchup. Oh, you already know who I got my money on. Stop it. Let's go. <laughs> like, it's time, Kalki. It's time, man. Let's go. Put some respect on your name once again. Defensive Player of the Year last year has a good chance of repeating that award. I saw something on Twitter today about, oh, it should go to this guy, it should go to that guy. Come on. Those guys can have their chance once Kalki uh, graduates or leaves for the NBA. It, uh, until then, it's his award to lose. No one has as much of a defensive impact, especially defending the paint like Kalkbrenner does. Like, it's over, done deal, like, next question. You know what I mean? Like, let's stop even trying to debate it, guys. Like, it's Kalki as defensive player of the year up until he decides that he no longer wants to be a Blue Jay and wants to pursue his professional career, or he graduates, whichever one comes first. Um, but, yeah, is, is there anything else that we need to address here as we come to a conclusion of a State of the Jays address, Josh? I don't think so. Not for me. All right, good. That, that'll do it for us here today, then. I'm so glad that we were able to chop it up and talk about, you know, where the Jays are at. Like I said, last time Josh and I talked about this, we were in the midst of a six-game losing streak. Now we're in the midst of a seven-game seven losing streak. Hopefully next time that we do this, we're not swinging a pendulum back around in, in a losing streak either. Uh, good luck to your IU boys. They're doing really well. Like, I'm looking forward to see how their season ends up, too. Uh, who, do you, who do they got next and where? They're at Michigan this weekend. 
tough place, tough place yeah, it to is. play. It is. Michigan has been very underwhelming this year, but they they've mm-hmm. been they've been picking it up and they're actually like tied for second place in the Big Ten right now, despite like not even being on or projected in in bracketologies, which is pretty crazy. What's so funny about like conference play is it allows teams like Michigan to like really find themselves like God, you, you just never know what you got until you get into those trenches with those guys, right? Like they're probably they got so much talent projected to be a, a really top team. You said that they're underwhelming, but also in the top two spots in the Big Ten. Like it's just kind of weird to put those adjectives together, you know what I mean? But yeah. I agree with you that like some of those teams, like you expect the world from them. And just because it doesn't kind of work out the way the majority of us college hoop heads think that it's going to, I think we kind of have the, uh, we prematurely like underrate these guys if we don't see what we expect from them early on in the season. And with these young kids who are 19, 20, 21, it takes time to get into a groove, man. Like it's really tough, but I think we're seeing a lot of teams like a Michigan team, like a Crane team, like an IU team kind of round into form. And that's what makes college troops so exciting. Like you just kind of never know what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, it's going to be an incredible end to this season. I, I, I'm so excited to go along with this ride with you. And we're going to be here covering every step of the way. We were off air talking about what's happening in the NBA right now. Like how crazy is this trade deadline and everything? I woke up this morning and Kevin Durant was a Phoenix Sun. Like what is going on? <laughs> Yeah, me too. I looked at my phone and I'm like, well, there it is. A, a huge blockbuster trade that happened at like 1.30 Eastern time. Uh, so so that was pretty crazy. That's insanity. I literally like woke up and like, you know how you get like the cold in your eye when you first wake up? I'm just like rubbing my eye, making sure I'm reading my phone correctly. Obviously, we have the Kyrie stuff. We have the Kevin Durant stuff now. Uh, all these guys are getting traded and waived or traded and bought out. There's going to be a whole slew of free agents here that's going to pop up this next week. So we're going to have to see like where guys like Russell Westbrook and like Jay Crowder and like, I think your crowd is going to the Bucks now or like Reggie Jackson, like guys like that who are just like, we're traded and got bought out uh, where they're going to end up. The NBA season and this time of year is just as crazy as college basketball. So in the entirety of the basketball landscape, it's wild everywhere. There's no time to sleep. You guys like you sleep, you're going to miss something big and that's for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah all exactly. right let's uh let's go ahead and wrap this show up josh i appreciate you so much again like you're usually behind the scenes you do so much for us uh it's good that the fans see your face and kind of recognize your voice we're definitely going to have you back uh near the end of the season as we do our last state of the jays address for the year is there any lasting words that you want to say to the blue jay faithful out there uh, let's see I j- I'm just excited for Saturday's game against UConn. UConn played awesome against Marquette, probably the best mm-hmm. game they've played in a month or maybe more, longer than a month. So UConn's coming in hot. It's going to be it's going to be fun to see uh, the atmosphere in Omaha as well. Oh, I promise you it's going to be one of the greatest atmospheres, especially for a Saturday afternoon game. Like you're not going to get better than 18,000 rowdy crane fans probably a little tipsy already let's be honest <laughs> uh that are going to be there to cheer on their jays like there's nothing better than that so i'm very much looking forward to it too uh this has been another episode of the welcome to the J podcast i am your host Johannes manning this is my producer my friend my brother josh Bodie. uh 
Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. And as always, go Jays.